Welcome to another Dragonland Saga Creator episode. My name is Adam, and today I am talking with the talented individuals behind Dragonland's Test of High Sorcery, available on DMs Guild right now. Now, there's a link in the description below if you want to check that out, and I highly recommend you do because it is different and very kind of cool if you're sort of old school like I am. I would like to take a moment to thank the members of this YouTube channel and invite you to consider becoming a member if you're not already, and of course, like that link to uh, Test of High Sorcery in the description, you can get other uh, Dragonlance materials the same way as well. Thank you both so much for taking the time and uh, joining me today. Yeah, Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Oh, it's a privilege. So um, I want to start just sort of an introduction for those in the audience who may not know who you are. Um, you know, just let us know a little bit about yourself. Uh, Donathan, how about you first? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I I'm Don. Uh, I am a full-time tabletop role-playing game writer and designer, uh, and I run a ton of D and D and other systems. I love Dragonlance. I've been running uh, Dragonlance various campaigns in Fifth Edition. Uh, I ran in previous editions too, but I've been running in Fifth Edition now for uh, like five years or so. Uh, so I was obviously like really excited by the opportunity to maybe like self-publish something that's actually in Dragonlands in this setting that I love. That's great. Uh, Kenna? Yeah, um, so I'm Kenna. I am also a TTRPG writer, designer, person of many hats in the space. Um, I have done a bunch of freelance work uh, across different things, but uh, some people may know my 5e work uh, as um, a contributor to Candlekeep Mysteries, um, as well as some other stuff. Um, I'm also the co-curator of the TTRPG Safety Toolkit. Um, yeah, so uh, Don and I have worked together over time, uh, and this is just our, our latest project. Um, and I, th I think it's a cool one. I'm yeah. biased, but... <laughs> <laughs> Well, justifiably, I would say. Um, let me give a quick shout out to the people in the chat. Uh, Skull Cowboy, thanks for tuning in live. Murtis, how you doing? DMD20, thank you so much for tuning in. Chris, always great to see you. Um, let's see who else we got here. Andrew, thank you so much for joining live. Matthew, it's great to see you. Ron, not Burgundy, but close. Bogard, thanks for tuning in, man. And uh, Solid Company, it's always great to see you. David, what is up? All right, so if you guys have any questions or comments throughout the course of our conversation, throw them up there. We'll try to get to them and answer uh, every single one of them as long as they're, uh, you know, rational. Thanks, Chris. Really appreciate that. Happy holidays to you. And uh, to everyone tuning in live. Of course, you know, tomorrow is sort of holiday eve. <laughs> I don't know what everyone individually does. But, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a big weekend. So I, I really am glad that we can take the opportunity tonight to talk about the test because... This is a subject that is has boggled DMs' minds forever. I have I've never actually read a story about the test of high sorcery that I felt was satisfying. And Margaret Weiss has written two of them. So I think it's very interesting that you two took on something that potentially is an impossible task. So let's start from the sort of the beginning before we, we really get into any nit and gritty stuff here. When did you first decide, I think we should probably develop a test of high sorcery? It wasn't long ago. Uh, it it kind of came together because there wasn't a lot of time like when we ago. knew for sure. Uh, you know, we weren't sure if uh, when they released the fifth edition, you know, Shadow the Dragon Queen, if they would open up the setting for people to create, you know, their own content and publish it on DMs Guild. So we were kind of waiting and waiting. Uh, and I want to say, like, we started talking about it in September. Yeah. Um, and we started doing the narrative design first, which is like a big part of how this adventure has to be designed, uh, the way that we went about it, at least. And uh, like, you know, most of the writing took place in October. Uh, it, was a, it was a mad scramble to get it done in time. It really was. Um... Yeah, I mean, Don and I have been talking about doing uh, another project together for a while. Um, our last big one was a similar kind of choose your own adventure, solo game book style uh, thing called To Hell and Back Again, which was mm -hmm. for Descent to Avernus. Um, and we're like, we want to do something like that again. Uh, and we just didn't know what. Um, and then once uh, Dragon Queen was announced, we were like, maybe that, <laughs> you know, as long as we're allowed to. Yeah. Um, but uh, we were on a shorter timeline than we normally are. <laughs> so, uh, but we managed to get it out. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, two months, right? Yeah, yeah basically. Much. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Because, <laughs> I mean, not only do you have to do all of the planning, all of the writing, collect all of the artwork, get all of the layout done. I mean, that's, 
that's a huge task to be able to uh, realize. Uh, what's your what's what's the team size that contributed to this? Well, uh, very small. Very small. <laughs> um, yeah, we. Uh, I did the layout for to hell and back again, and we both decided that that was not a smart idea to do again because of your request. Still so bear we, the scars. <laughs> yeah, uh, and so we actually hired uh, someone that I've worked with before for layout, uh, Virginia Page, so we got someone to do that, and we also uh, commissioned uh, Nick Beecher to do the amazing cover art. Um, so there's that, and yeah. then uh, Don's lovely wife, Adeline, did our editing. Uh, our copy editing. Bless yeah. her, because it was full of a lot of stuff going on in there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, we had play testers too, uh, so usually, you know, you might want, like, a lot of time to play test, mm -hmm. but our play testing happened very, very quickly as, like, layout was coming together. Uh, and so we had a, a great group of play testers who went through, you know, sort of more significant encounters and their overall experiences and uh, all those folks got credited in the book as well. But it was a small, you know, it was a very small team compared to uh, most books, I think, the size. So, I mean, first of all, the, the, the scope alone, I mean, you, you quote in there, there's 60 unique outcomes. And just the idea of trying to map out this choice to that choice, which could lead back to that choice, which another choice tree ended up going to, like to map all of that out in that that sort of choose your adventure style. Um, I I feel like Charlie from like uh, uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, <laughs> like looking at the board. That's how we I mean? felt too. It's definitely how. <laughs> yeah, we, felt. we have we have a Google Sheets uh, which has all of our like the traits that you can get and all the different outcomes that can end up happening. Uh, it's a lot. Uh, I think only we could understand what's going on in there because it's it is messy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of things going on. Um, a, as you said, a lot of different um, a lot of different things we had to keep track of and make sure that everything was consistent throughout and unique and interesting to play with. Mm -hmm. um, there was a lot of like, wait, can someone get both of these traits that are that would be like conflicting with each other right. um, or and what traits need to follow which ones and which one needs to like what threads need to happen mm. uh to get to certain to certain ends um it, it was very much a we at least we had practice doing this before could mm -hmm. like uh but it, this is at a much bigger scale um, this is way more ambitious than our last book that we did a few years back together for sure wow. yeah so uh, I'm, I'm still trying to just like wrap my head around how this is even possible because you were you still game designing as layout was being applied and as you were getting ready to public like release it to DMs Guild? Like how 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 late in the process were you still trying to get all those threads together? I mean, we've released an update to the book since we released, um, you know, minor <laughs> yeah. things, which is one of the nice things about you know most of the stuff that we do is for publishers, and it's like once it goes to print. Well, you hope you got it right because now, you know, there's yeah. thousands of copies out there for people. Uh, but, you know, self-publishing, one of the advantages is you can kind of like release updates. And so we got back like some late play tests that kind of changed our perspective on a couple of the encounters. Uh, there's a survey in the back of the book that you can take when you finish. And it's like, how did I do on my test? You know, mm. what color robe did I get? And what other, you know, outcomes did I get? And we started to see some data come in through that that suggested that maybe there were a couple of paths that were not as common as maybe we wanted them to be. And we were like, well, that's easy to tweak. We can go in there and fix that really simply. Yeah. Uh, and so, but as far as like the last minute, I mean, I think the last four days before release were just nonstop. Uh, and as layout was working on things, we were getting play test stuff in. I, you know, I was like, anytime I had ran out of things to do myself, I was play testing uh, the encounters. And wow. uh, that's just, you know, kind of, it kind of felt like, uh, uh, like if you ever do theater or something like that, like the dress rehearsal where everything goes wrong until it yeah. all comes together. That's what the end of putting this book together felt like. Yeah, it was it was very much like a rolling kind of thing. Like as soon as we had one section, we were good and knew it was done. We would hand it off to layout and then keep going from there. Um, so it's just like whatever material we had, we would give to layout. Um, and Virginia is a saint uh, for putting up mm -hmm. with all of our like, yep. wait, we found a typo <laughs> over here. <laughs> uh, wait, we found this thing. Um, 
but she's she's an incredible person to work with. So um, yeah. she made it very easy and smooth for us to to go through. <laughs> well, can I ask why the test of high sort of all the things you could attempt to tackle? Why this? I think for me, um, you know, we've been talking, Kiana mentioned, we've been talking about like, well, we want to do something together again in this style of adventure. A, uh, it's fun to write and design. It's different than the other work we do. But there's also like, there's an actual like demand for it for people to play, uh, to have adventures they can play alone or with friends um, is a kind of a growing need as the number of players exceeds the number of available game masters in D&D. Uh, and like we're very aware of that, uh, so we knew we wanted to do something like this. I've been running this campaign uh, that four of my six players are wizards. They have been going to try to get to the Tower of Wayrith to take their test, and and the other two are not. Uh, they're companions, and so I had to design, you know, using the the three point five, you know, the Tower of High Sorcery and some of the other materials out there. Uh, four tests, four full tests, which is like 32 individual challenges yeah. that are all based on their bed. Like I, it was already very fresh in my mind. Yeah. And um, something about, you know, there's a, there's an old book uh, with the book that uh, kind of is one of the books that speaks to Raceland's test and Dragonlance's yeah. Soulforge, yeah. uh, which was inspired by a game book, uh, Choose Your Own Adventure game book from like 1985, called, also called the Soulforge. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there you go. That's the nerd I am. I have it right on call. <laughs> uh, and I think you mentioned there's a lot of challenges like DMs, how do I run this? You know, how do I, and it's different for every group. It's It's one thing if you have one wizard an entire group, but what if you have four? What if, uh, you know, your other players don't want to go on the test or they're not as interested in the test as your wizard's player is? Uh, you know, can you really afford to, to run all of those encounters and just kind of hold them at bay or, you know, have them dragging their feet and just kind of following along? So I we thought that like this approach to the adventure you could use so that a player could play it by themselves and then come back into their game or enjoy it as a standalone experience or gms might be able to go in and like take the ideas from the book some of the encounters they like make them even more custom to their players and use them however they want so it felt like it was maybe more modular to kind of approach it this way yeah yeah, um, and for me, um, I am newer to Dragonlance. I only got into D&D at 5th edition, um, and uh, Don was my introduction to Dragonlance, actually. And when we were talking about ideas, and he talks through the test of high sorcery, um, I found it very interesting because it really matched up with the unique strengths um, that solo game books have and like oh, your yeah. own adventure style things do. Um, because, you know, there aren't a lot of, in, in the world of D&D &D and stuff, um, a lot of things are, are kind of centered around group work and around, like, obviously you can go and have little, like, side quests onto yourself, uh, but so much of it is based on you are a party doing things mm -hmm. um, and creating intriguing things for people to engage with when they're by themselves um, is a unique challenge and one that needs to be approached with uh, in, in solo uh, solo play with D&D. &D. Uh, and the test of high surgery just kind of felt like it really fit that that concept really well like you are someone who has to go through a very personal adventure um and then we were like okay but this is also a really unique game challenge because we can't be there as live gms to customize yeah. something for a player um and so how do we make this customized to people uh and make it interesting while all through game design stuff so i i was also just drawn to that challenge um and where things could go wrong uh and uh, I th I think um, the test happens to just be a really good example of that. And from what I was researching it myself and looking up materials and stuff, I was like, there hasn't been anything for this in a really long time. Yeah. Nobody really knows how to do this. There's no guidance. There's no like example really, especially not for fifth edition. So I was really uh, excited to try to do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, and we gambled. We gambled really hard. We were like. Oh, we're gonna hope that the the fifth edition adventure doesn't have uh, a thing about the test, um, and we lucked out. Yeah, <laughs> it, it sort of does. It sort of does, but it's definitely different. It's definitely different. Yeah, yeah we it's... we 
it's infinitely more like, uh, here's some ideas, DM, really surface level stuff, but uh, have at it, Haas. You know, <laughs> like, not really helpful. Not like this. Uh, I mean, there we have to really clarify that there's a, a big difference between something like the Soul Forge, which is a narrative story about an established hero of the lands going through his test of high sorcery versus what you're presenting, which is you get to run your own character through it and have your own individual experiences that are going to dramatically differ from other people. And the ending is not always going to be, you know, safe and expected, right? I mean, there, there is an opportunity, you know, if with every test of high sorcery, you either make that soul forge with the magic or you die. So when winning, ultimately, I mean, you want someone, you know, you're going to create this because you want people to succeed and have fun through the process. You don't want to kill them on page two, you know, choice three. <laughs> so how do you try to balance that, that aspect of you want this to feel substantial and meaningful versus you still want them to, you know, actually get through it, but that you, you want them to feel like they accomplished something, but you don't want it over too quickly. Like, how did you balance all of that stuff? I think we approached it from a few different ways. There's a significant portion at the beginning of the adventure where there's not really any danger. Uh, you go through, you know, uh, Wayworth Forest, and then you're at the tower. Uh, there's intrigue at the tower, uh, and you do an interview with the leaders of the Orders of High Sorcery. Uh, and all of that time, during all of that time, you know, our adventure is pulling the choices that you make, the things that we can learn about your character through the choices they make so that we can customize the adventure later on for you. Uh, and so, you know, there's a good portion of the beginning that says a lot about your character. There's a lot of opportunities for solo role play or group role play there, but it's not dangerous. And then we used uh, this mechanic before. One of the tricks of uh, designing D&D, it's like Kiana said, it's not really designed for solo play. Yeah. Uh, action economy, how many players you have versus how many enemies you have if you're in a combat scenario matters a lot. If you even have one person that you're with, then the likelihood of you dying is much, much less because they can heal you or they can at least make a medicine check to like stabilize you if you get reduced to zero hit points. That goes away in solo play. So we have a mechanic that we use called uh, destiny points. Mm -hmm. And destiny points are a way, they kind of double in this adventure. They're a way for you to survive the random number generator of D&D, like a really bad damage roll that's like, oh, wow, that feels bad. I just got wiped out in one hit, and that was just an unlucky roll. Yeah. Um, and they also, because part of the test is, uh, you know, kind of judging how much risk you take and how well you do on the test, they also help us judge at the end, like, well, how well did you do on your test? Well, how many destiny points do you still have at the end? And you can use those points in a few different ways throughout the adventure. But I think the, the way that people probably use them the most is just to survive when the numbers go against them. And that helps reduce the randomization in D&D &D and make it so that you can at least make it pretty far into the adventure. And I, I suggest, I expect that most people who die uh, probably die right at the end, which, oh, you know, if you're going to die, that's the way to go out, I guess. Yeah. And you got to pull out all the yeah. stops. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and we spent a lot of time also looking at uh, really thinking about how the choices make consequences. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes those choices, like as Don said at the beginning, are just like, did you defend this person from being bullied or did you not? Um, and those actually have long-term consequences in the end because you end up getting into different uh, scenarios based on those actions. Um, but also just over time, what are things that may have long lingering consequences beyond your adventure, even if you survive? Uh, so that's a bunch of the outcomes that we have too. It's like, hey, so you have this weird magical curse now uh, and here's some ideas for, for you or your game master uh, to go off into the future and pull on it as an adventure hook or as a way to kind of see how your character has been shaped uh, by the adventure. And we actually do have choices throughout the um, throughout the uh, trials uh, for people to give up, uh, to give up their mm -hmm. magic in exchange for something, as is classic uh, test stuff. Uh, I got to handle that section, and that was super fun uh, because it's uh, really interesting to go like, okay, how can the traits that I pulled from you in the beginning parts, how can I make pull that against you and play that against you and make that and have you make that choice? And the choice to give up 
um, does it isn't just uh, this is the editor story now. Uh, I I very specifically try to make it so that there were interesting things to go off of from there. So you don't just like fade into the obscurity. You just have to put your character in retirement. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so we spent a lot of time thinking about consequences. Uh, Destiny points are a great way for us to do that. Uh, but even just within the way that choose your adventure style solo game books have to be, you have to go, what choices at the beginning end mm -hmm. up influencing your pathways? And that's why I think we calculated how many paths you could take. And there are several hundreds of thousands uh, you lot. could take uh, in the uh, just the, com the combinations yeah. of all that. Because uh, we... we did like I think three or four things per section, like three or four paths per section, and those branch out very quickly. <laughs> I really like how you use the character choices, like sort of pre-programmed in the the the, the set, um, just the sort of setup of the test in order to then influence the outcomes later on because that's what DMs do anyway. You know, you you know the characters, you know the players, you you, you have an idea about what they're going to do, but ultimately you want to have that spontaneity of being able to turn on a dime and say, okay, well, you're you're sort of going against your character with this choice as I've always learned and expected of you. Now I need to sort of adjust based on that choice. And to have that sort of already pre-planned in there, I think is a very interesting way of approaching it as well, because then you do feel like it is a custom test to your choices and not just canned responses that you're going through or canned actions. Um, there's a question here at the very beginning. Hey, Goldman, thanks so much for tuning in. Great to see you. Uh, give the new rule, uh, do the new rules, I'm sorry. Given the new rules, how would the test alter a warlock? Um, so I don't really wanna focus on like the sort of mechanics of fifth edition with warlocks, you know, in, in Dragonlance or anything like that. I'm a little bit more interested in, do you make a distinction at all between anyone who can use magic and then come in and use this source? Not in this book, no. And then that's a uh, fifth edition, you know, that's the decision that, you know, Wizards of the Coast made with uh, their book. And so we followed that because we are, it's a fifth edition book uh, and we want it to be compatible and accessible to people who maybe the, for the first time, they're playing maybe their first Dragonlance adventure ever is Shadow of the Dragon Queen, uh, and so no, we don't make a we don't make a distinction within our book. We don't build or design new lore for warlocks that didn't exist previously. Um, this adventure, like you said, is like laser focused, right? This is the test of high sorcery, and so however you want to bring you know your campaign and your lore uh, to it, you're you're able. It's not even set at a specific point in time, so you could play it the age of dreams or you could play it in the age of mortals uh later on at least uh you know it's pretty pretty open-ended that way yeah and even we created pre-generated characters uh in case somebody mm -hmm. just wanted to pick up and play and didn't want to go through the thing of making a character and we did a variety of classes there like we have a wizard we have a sorcerer we have a bard um so we, we would, and we even have a fighter in case you're someone who's tagging along with your group mm -hmm. of people and you're like, well, I guess I'm going to testify Cersei and, and helping, <laughs> helping my magic peace. buddies yeah. out. Um, so we, we made it very, like we pull on Dragon Last War and a lot of that was Dawn's work because I was like, there's so much of this. I don't know what's happening. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, Right, a lot of it, which is you're a magic user. The important thing is that you're a magic user and you want to be here. Like yeah. a, a whole, the whole thing is that we're making the the premise that you are a mage wanting to go to take the test. Because why would we go through the effort of being like, do you want to take the test? No, the the point is that yeah, you have already decided. Yeah. Choice number one: <laughs> Should you pick this book up? <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, so, can you even uh, cast magic? <laughs> yeah. And so we, we will assume that people who are coming in with characters that may be a warlock or, or unconventional magic users are coming in with that knowledge in mind that they're here to take the test to do everything about it. <laughs> yeah. So Murtis is asking, uh, would getting into the test be the hardest part of the test? I mean, just from the surface level, you know, outside of, no, just by the 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 source book and, and you can get into the test but like role-playing wise no you're encouraged to take the test otherwise you're a renegade and you'll be hunted and murdered <laughs> like yeah like that's that's it's the whole thing you know that's, that's what makes dragonless dragonless as far as wizards are concerned um i i find it interesting because again this the, the test of high sorcery is something that is is 
so challenging for a lot of not just players on what to expect because it is so open-ended and they didn't even bother trying to really break down what to expect until you got to the saga system and then third edition after that but then also from the dungeon master's side like how do i make this meaningful we have the ultimate outcome of the test of high sorcery in front of us in all of the novels with racial majir how could i possibly create something that would make the character the player feel like their character is on par with that hero of the lance because ultimately you are the hero of the lance of your own game so you want it to be as impactful and as empowering and you want to feel like that super badass after you're finished with it you also kind of want to feel like it costs you something because that's part of the entire process is that magic costs something you know it, we see it in the novels as far as like um exhaustion levels you know uh, just casting a spell will wind you because you know, you're literally calling down arcane forces from gods. Um, you know, in, in Dragonlance, it, it all comes from gods. In other worlds, it comes from wherever. But, um, it, like, there should be some taxing element associated with that. And so, for a DM to be able to create something that is impactful for a player is a lot to ask. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot. And so what I really appreciated about this is that, yeah, you could just like sort of buy it and toss it at your player and say, here, I gifted this to you, you know, run through it. And when you're done, you know, let's check up again. Or you as the DM could use it as your, your sort of manual on how to run it and just as, you know, narrate what they're experiencing instead of them reading it, you're playing, you know, the, 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 the book itself, as it were. And they're just sort of, you know, reflecting back off of you as if it was a regular game session. And you can still have that really wonderful one-on-one -on -one experience or as you guys have uh, created uh, um, options available for other players to join in on it. I would never recommend a player join in on a Test High Sorcery. That's, that seems ridiculous <laughs> it's just, to it, me. But. It's, a, it's a suicide run for that, yeah. that character. There's no upside either. <laughs> You're like... Either I die or I help you do something, but I'm still sitting here with all the wounds. <laughs> like, yeah, there's there's a reason why uh why the fighter pregen is is bound by by oath to yeah. protect the the mages. It's the only reason we could get him to go there with everybody else. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's that or cookies, one of the two. You know, That's give right. Me, <laughs> give me a nice chocolate chip. Maybe I'll do it. Um, so uh, I think this is interesting because this is a question that comes up if anyone's familiar with previous editions third level is the time you need to take the test of high sorcery in shadow of the dragon queen they're actually pushing it past fourth level because of the situations that you're actually in um do you set this up in this book as maybe you know approach it around this level oh yeah yeah we do uh it's uh we say fourth level and it's really because at fourth level you still don't have access to third level spells but you have a few more hit points which makes the random <laughs> the game design it's a game design reason it's a little less random at fourth level than it is at third level yeah. um and there there is a feat in and we didn't plan this uh but there's a feat in the the new uh shadow of the dragon queen for mages of high sorcery at fourth level that they get access to at fourth level right. And so, you know, after I, we got kind of got like, uh, we bought the book in pre-release, so we got early access to it. Uh, and we, you know, we read it as we were writing our final drafts. We read the book to make sure that we could align what we were doing as well as we could with what they were doing. Uh, and so, you know, we have some recommendations in there for, there's a specific point that kind of just worked out perfectly in uh, Wizard of the Coast's book. I won't spoil it where you could just go and take the test at fourth level. Yep. You'll be fourth level at the time, but you don't. Instead, you go do something else instead. And so we provide like a really simple guideline for how you can take it then uh, and you know how you can tie it to the feats that you get at that level and that sort of thing. Yeah, what I really like about that is that in, in a world where you can literally teleport through time, if, you know, if you're not one of the Grey Gem races, you want to go back in time just to observe like Wizards of High Sorcery just do that. Like it's just a thing that they can do. So like if you can just cast a spell to go through time or to teleport to any point in the actual planet, why could you not just go take it? <laughs> like yep. that doesn't make any sense. Of course, like just just have whoever is, you know, I don't want to give anything away for the adventure, but have that person just teleport you over and you're there and problem solved. No problems. Um, 
And then, of course, yeah, everything's customizing. Like, the, the whole point of being a DM and being in a, a, a role-playing game, you know, is that you get to customize it to the experience. So I would like to think that no one's running an adventure as if I have to do every single step in this exact way. Like, you want to make it fun for the players. That's the whole point. <laughs> it's shared storytelling, after all. Um, can I ask you really quick? Because the destiny points are very similar to hero points um, as already you know in the existing vernacular. Why did you change the name? Is there a different function that you had them for? Like, uh, I was just a little bit confused about the disparity there. I love hero points uh, and hero points, you know, they can be used in other ways too, like introducing narrative ideas and things like that, which I think are, is a really cool, not like, I don't know a lot of uh, DMs who use them, but I love them. Uh, they're one of those optional rules that exist that I think get overlooked. Uh, destiny points were, I mean, a limited number of them. Uh, we needed to balance them both for solo play and for group play. Uh, you know, if you do have teammates that you bring along, they're just more specific to this adventure, I think. And uh, ultimately, I think that's why. Plus, uh, we found out we kind of their experimental mechanic that we played around with our last adventure. And we found out through like a lot of the people who played that adventure, that was like their favorite part. And we're like, well, we can bring that back. We can make yeah, that work. And, and Destiny Point as a name is uh, interesting to us because so much uh, of the Testify Sorcery is playing with your own fate going through a path to see what you make of your life uh and destiny just seems like the right loaded word it worked out that that was the term that we used before um and it's true like you're you're taking your destiny into your own hands at that point mm -hmm. um and to be quite honest you don't always have to be a hero uh to be <laughs> uh to survive and get through that thing most of the people we've had played this so far have ended up being white or red robes, which is fascinating to me. The black uh, robes are catching up, though. They're catching, they're catching up. up. I, yeah. My my guess is that people go through their their nice person routes first, and then they're <laughs> yeah. like, okay, now we can be. I believe that. Uh, <laughs> you take the gloves off. This is too hard. <laughs> there's a slight like legal thing too. Um, I'm not. I, I'd have to look into it, but there's certain. You know, when you publish on DMs Guild, there's certain material that you're able to use, uh, in and certain material that you're not able to use as part of the license that allows you to publish. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm. I don't believe. I'd have to double check. I, I don't even know if hero points. A lot of those optional rules from the Dungeons Masters uh, guide aren't available to you to use. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that. I find that very interesting that they would sort of limit options. Yeah, that's that's licensing, SRD yeah. and OGL yeah. stuff is all, all about that. Uh, it was very fun to have to build uh, pre-gen characters only based on the SRD spell list. Right. Um, because it's not the full spell list. Yeah. <laughs> and we had to be like, okay, can our, the problems we're presenting in the test be solved by... SRD only because we're also right. putting this as like if someone is new to D&D uh, and they don't have the ability to buy the book yet they can get the SRD for free uh, mm -hmm. and so be able to make sure that it's accessible even at that level uh, for people to play uh, was important so we actually did have to go through the the, um, the adventure and be like are, are, are these actually solvable by spells that someone uh, could potentially have even if they're just looking at the very bare bones of the game right. uh which is interesting to say the least we were just like what about this spell we're like nope we can't use that spell that spell is is locked behind uh locked behind doors over there yeah. so i think that's really interesting i i mean ultimately you want to make sure that it's it's accessible to whomever is going to want to play it and if it's a dm running the game on behalf of the player then of course they can make exceptions and, and sort of adjust course but if it is just you by yourself playing through it then you have to be able to finish it otherwise it's completely <laughs> broken and, and, and it wouldn't make any sense what was uh what was like some of the most challenging aspects of this for you because you had mentioned you already done did something already um that's a lesser scale to what you've accomplished here and so you have you know a, a little bit of experience under your belt for that but what were some of the, the bigger challenges that you faced I, I think it was definitely the um, making sure the threads were coherent, like the story threads were coherent throughout, right. um, and that things felt like they were, like the different uh, parts of the test felt like they were connected to each other. Uh, we had to do a lot of talking between the two of us about like, okay, so if this person takes the, the hag test over here, 
what does that mean if they end up going to the dragon stuff afterwards um, and and all that uh, stuff there and making sure that like choices not just at the beginning of the like the first chapter where you're just going to the towel ravers and uh, socializing and and uh, picking up all those those first basic traits how can we also find ways to to make traits happen yeah. uh, during the test itself and make that connected uh, throughout um, and that's just that's just a, it was just a lot of brain work it was just a lot of design and narrative design uh, to make that happen mm-hmm. uh, and I think that was like 90 percent of our, our time with doing that um, it was like the first month uh, that's all we did was the narrative design yeah. and we are kind of like narrative design nerds like we love that stuff yeah. um, but it you know before we started writing you know the first words besides maybe like most of the first chapter I think we we knocked out the kind of yeah. like introduction chapter. Uh, but that was a, that was a lot of the time. Um, there's two like it, it's tough. So we uh, we wanted this to feel accessible to people who've never played Dragonlance before and no other fantasy settings. But we wanted it to be feel authentic to Dragonlance. And there's you know there's characters in here, uh, some iconic characters like uh, the Fist and Dantalus shows up and and in a meaningful way. And you were talking before like how do you make this feel for the player like their character is just as badass as Raceland or at least trying to be? Uh, and so, you know, there are, you know, big moments that can happen or do happen within the course of the adventure that that can like kind of cr- put them down this path of like, no, my character, you know, if they make it through this, they make it through the Soul Forge. Uh, they do have something meaningful to do in this world. And so giving, writing those characters and writing those moments so they felt authentic Uh, creating tests that felt, you know, like they were part of Dragonlance uh, and and detailed uh, because a lot of the tests, you know, because of the style of adventure, it's a very detailed the way that it's written. But also like, what if I don't know Dragonlance? What if I know, uh, you know, Hunger Games or one of these other, you know, like what if I'm newer to to D&D, but I do know like genre, uh, how can we create things that feel like Dragonlands, but also like people are going to get it because they connect it to other stories that they do know that that are maybe more recent. And so like all of that was part of our, you know, our process. And that was challenging. You know, it's intimidating to write. I run Dragonlands a lot uh, and I, you know, Fist and Dantalus is almost always one of my major villains, and Lord Soth is always, all, almost always one of my major villains Whoa. in my campaigns. Um, but there's something intimidating about like writing those characters, like writing words that you know for a book. Yeah. In those characters. Yeah, I'd be afraid I'd do a little too Saturday morning cartoon villainy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a lot of mustache yeah. twirling. That's right. Yeah, the, the fun thing about that is uh, my introduction to Dragonland uh, was Don running a, a, a live stream campaign of it. Uh, and I played a character who I was like, I don't really know Dragonland. I've done like a cursory Google of it. Here's my character. Uh, and Don made her the daughter of Fist and Dantalus. Like a basically um, like a daughter. Yeah. Like completely, yeah. completely just on surprise for me and for everybody else. And then I there was a reveal of that during the stream and I was everyone lost their minds and I was over here being like, let me just Google who this is really quickly. Like, it's just dad to me. I don't why are you guys reacting yeah, this way? This is just dad. Um and and so being able to John does a really good job with uh with voicing uh characters and stuff. Yeah. Um he did it before for uh to Helen back again. Um he he did all the writing for our holophant uh Lulu in it, uh which everyone thought I wrote because they were like, Yes, clearly the the cheerful one is the one who wrote the cheerful holophant. No, that was all done. Um, <laughs> um but like he's really good at voicing that stuff. So I, I knew he was gonna do well. And yeah, you you there's a little there's a little Vist and Dantalus potential. Uh it's only a potential. You yeah. could you could choose to to totally skip over that part by accident, but uh for, for all you Dragon Lesners, there there is a possibility. There's a possibility that he'll take interest in it in you, uh very, taking very the cool. test. Yeah. I I always love that there's always that notion of, you know, like Robert Johnson going to the crossroads and selling his soul to the devil. And arguably that's what Raceland did when he, you know, took the test and he accepted Fisinatilis's help. Um, the idea of this other, seemingly otherworldly entity taking an interest in you for selfish reasons and then sort of using you for some some ultimate end. We don't really get a lot of, like, 
you appealing to them and them being like, yeah, you're just not good enough. No, move along. <laughs> I, I always like the idea, like, and I don't know, is this ever even an option? Because I, I, I didn't run through every scenario in the book. Is there an option Fisnellis turns down people? There's uh, early on, there's an option where, you know, if there's a, there's a point in the adventure where maybe if you try, you might connect with him and maybe he might make you an offer that might come into play later when you meet again. But, uh, you know, based on some of the choices that you've already made up to that point, mm -hmm. he might also say like, mm, you've kind of already got your own thing going on. So I'm just going to watch, uh, he gives you a little bit of you, advice. You've got which enough is, help already. That's right. Yeah. He gives yeah. you some you dubious advice. Like, <laughs> I don't know if most people would consider it good advice, but maybe depending on your character, you might. And then uh, he just tells you, I'm going to be watching you. And, you know, that's the end of that particular branch. Yeah. Now you're just paranoid for the rest of your life. That's right. If <laughs> yeah, watching absolutely. You. He's just like, oh, you're, you've already got help. Hmm. All right. Well, I'll just watch you from afar. Goodbye. <laughs> That's, That's unnerving. That's all you that get. Is... <laughs> 20 years later, you're taking a leak. I can't go if you're watching, Fisnellis. Honestly. <laughs> trying to... Man. I can see it. Um, That's just where my mind goes. I don't know why. Uh, so, I mean, you, you had mentioned that you had, uh, you know, done something similar to this, uh, as, as was earlier mentioned. I don't want to sort of jump into what's next or anything, but I think one of the one of the really great experiences for players is to feel like they've gone through something in order to earn something. And so for a young wizard, that is, you know, in order to cast greater, more powerful spells, you have to become a part of this fraternity, this order of high sorcery. And in order to do that, you have to take this tremendous test and, you know, death is an opportunity. And so, you know, you're really, if you're going to actually study this and you're going to devote your life to it, you're literally devoting your life to it. Um, have you ever considered uh, extending that to other classes, uh, especially with 5th edition? I always found it very underwhelming, the way that you're able to sort of choose a subclass at 3rd level, but it never presents you with any sort of experience. Like, you know, you're going to specialize in some way in the class that you've chosen, but you just sort of get to 3rd level and you choose it. There's no, like, real substance to it like you know going to the test of high sorcery have you ever considered doing something similar to different types of classes like uh wizards or any spellcaster class for example with the test of high sorcery that you just developed i mean i think it's a really good idea we didn't I what you got to say yeah, it's <laughs> a great idea, idea. <laughs> yeah i think there's a there would be a, a you know a demand for that i think people would get a lot out of that it doesn't even need to necessarily be as because this is a pretty intricate uh, yeah. in-depth adventure you could do something shorter for you know each class i think there's some og you know there's some licensing concerns like uh we mentioned with the spells you can't really necessarily uh use that many different spell uh subclasses some that many different archetypes uh, as written but i think you could probably allude to them uh as like an outcome uh we did talk briefly about like hey what you know i wonder like what about the uh knights of salamnia Right. Like, could you could there be something similar in Dragonlance similar? Because that's the other, you know, the other half, one of the other most iconic things that players like right. to engage with is the knighthood. Um, and we felt I think we felt more confident that, like, this is a harder thing to actually pull off. And you can see that in Shadow of the Dragon Queen. There's actually a good amount of engagement with the Knights of Salamnia. They kind of come into the story um, a little bit more frequently. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you could do that, you know, like with, you know, climbing through the knighthood or, you know, quest of virtue, that sort of thing. Uh, and I think you could do it with subclasses, too. I think that's a really good idea. Yeah, I just feel like it's an opportunity that, you know, I know I know whenever I play a game, I like to feel special. You know, like if I go to third level, and my buddy goes to third level, he gets to take this special test. And I'm just like, all right, I get to hit something a little harder. Great. Like, I'm not as important, apparently, you know? So, I don't know. It's something that always sort of bothered me. I've always done it in my home games whenever I DM to make people feel like they're actually heroic and they, they're going through these evolutionary processes. Like, you know, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons right out stated that you needed to train before you could even level up with someone mm -hmm. of that level or higher. And that just gives you that option of, well, now I have to find someone that's great 
and I need to you know, aspire to be trained by them in order to get to these higher levels, it creates massive role-playing opportunities of you know, incredible fun or maybe frustrating if your DM sucks, but <laughs> ultimately opportunities. And it's just vacant in this you know so mm. i don't know i thought it was i thought it was cool and you guys did such a good job with this i figured i'd throw it out there and see if you were interested and in, in, it's a good idea it's a very good idea yeah i may be the only one so it may not be monetary. I, mean, I, I think it's a really i think it's a really cool way of looking at like yeah the fact that there's only this one thing for magic users and i mm -hmm. i think it could be really interesting right. uh after don and i shake <laughs> go into hibernation for a bit uh, <laughs> yeah you gotta recoup. that's right yeah for sure and it's been a crazy year for the both of us. I, I have like a, you know, I'm running the tests of high sorcery right now. Like they're ending, they're at their duels, right? They're the wow. final test. But like, what did the other two players that aren't wizards in my campaign do? You know, they didn't want to go in there and I don't blame them. Uh, it sounds awful. Uh, and so like I created a, you know, a war plot to throw them into, okay. you know, so they're all fighting a war while their wizard friends are taking the test and uh you know that's that's how i approach making them feel special within Dragonlands. i just like the idea that like because this is how i play dnd when i'm a character if i start off at level one when i get to level three and it's like what you know archetype am i gonna pick uh i usually like don't decide that ahead of time i decide it based on like well what's my character going through what have they earned yeah. uh, but to actually give them a little like tiny adventure where they would play through and actually earn something by the choices they make I think it's a great idea. I love that stuff. That's cool. Uh, so there's a question here that I, I want to address. It, now I can't find it because <laughs> you people talk in the your, chat your, room. Your chat are too chatty. Yeah. They, they like talking too much. <laughs> Simmer down, people. No, it was, uh, can a renegade wizard play in this uh, from uh, DMD20? And yeah, that, that's the point. What I always loved about Dragonlance um, when it came to the Wizards of High Sorcery is that each order of High Sorcery approaches renegades completely differently. So your white robes are going to literally try to convince renegade wizards to join the order to save them from ultimately, as they see it, arguably themselves, um, but ultimately from like the black robes or the red robes. The red robes will give you the opportunity, but then they might also kill you if you refuse it. And then the black robes will straight up say, look, you're going to serve me and take this test or I'm going to end your life right now. So it's just, it depends on the order, but everyone is somehow going to try to get you to take the order of high sorcery because ultimately magic on crin is supposed to be so incredibly powerful it has to be structured and you don't want crazy people like kender getting their hands on magic because who knows what would happen at that point so it has to maintain in in that order so yes renegade wizards definitely have to take it or else they're just going to perpetually be renegades and if that's what you, you gotta play, be really good yeah i mean mages did it yeah, but yeah, if you're really, if you, you better hope that you're really good if you're a renegade. Yeah. So there's a, a question earlier on that I noted I never really got to, and you sort of partially answered it anyway. But I, I want to bring it up in a different sort of way. So the original question was: Is Dalamar one of the orders of high sorcery, and that is locked into a time frame during the War of the Lance? Of course, Dalamar is not even you know the. the uh, student of, of Raceland at that point. So there's no way he would be. And the only time he was actually in charge of the order was in the fifth age <clears throat> um, when uh, LaDonna, I think it was, uh, stepped down. So when it comes to these iconic characters, and you spoke to it with, with uh, Fisnellis, for example, when you were designing this, did you intentionally go um, vague with the heads of orders? Or did you like throw in any specific names? Because you know, other than an active lich, you know, depending on the era, that person may not even be alive. So how did you approach that of, of calling out specific people in these? Uh... Yeah, we were very vague. And that goes throughout the entire thing to be customizable. Like right. at points we have like talks about family members of the character or talks about, you know, uh, a lost loved one or stuff like that. And we have to be, we, we made it clear that like we are being pretty generic about it yeah. um, so that people can fill in their own stuff mm. uh, as needed. And we kind of did the same thing with like characters that would have to be locked to a specific time. Mm -hmm. um, 
we we were like, we want to make sure that people can play this in whatever time frame they're doing it in, because who knows what, uh, what their campaign is like, yeah. uh, and we don't want to make them go through the work. And of course, like if they're not a Dragonlance, if they're not familiar with Dragonlance lore, putting out a, a specific name isn't going to mean a lot to them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they're going to be like, okay, this person, cool. Um, and while it's a nice Easter egg, I think it takes away from the the modularity from it. Yeah. Um, yeah, we we were just like the head of the white robes. <laughs> you know that person. Yeah. Fist and Dantilus. There's a few characters in there that we do name uh, who are like, well, Fist and Dantilus travels through time, and he's also one of the. Uh, you know, we don't know exactly canonically. We don't know exactly when he joined, but it was pretty early on. Mm -hmm. So there's a good chance that Fist and Dantilus could be a character in any any age um you know tachesis uh is always around <laughs> uh you know always a character that could show up to influence events so there's certain characters like that and when we talked about like the mages the high the or leaders of the orders uh, you know we looked at like you know some of the novels and some of the voices uh and some of the perspectives mm -hmm. of those characters that are canonical to you know, inform how we wrote. Like, I would say the characters have specific voices. We just don't name them because we want you to be able to name them for for your game. Yeah. I think that's important just for playability, so that it's applicable to as many people as possible. Arguably, I would even go so far as to say, you know, you could keep this setting independent. I mean, you don't need mm -hmm. to be Dragonlance uh, or in on Kryn in order to run through this. This is just an interesting option for any wizard to sort of take that next step in power growth, you know, to, to go through this, you know, as I was saying with the other classes. I mean, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be on Kryn or anything. You can still apply this to any wizard or any magic user in any setting or just your own home settings. And it's as entertaining to go through and as impactful for your character in the long run assuming you survive of course <laughs> i guess it's pretty impactful if you die too so mm. <laughs> i guess either way it's great but um yeah and i wanted to bring that up because ultimately when you're talking about um creating something for a specific campaign setting how the next question is well do we need to set this campaign setting up for other people how much campaign setting information do you have to include if you're if you're you know just creating the test of high sorcery and i found it interesting because you guys included enough to sort of let the people know if they're not familiar with dragonlands this is the kind of flavor that you get but then you also included more than i personally thought you even needed and mm. part of the downside of that is that what if it's not 100 percent accurate and, you know, everyone has typos, everyone has misspellings, everyone, you know, the editing is a pain in the tuchus. It's just the reality of, of creating anything in life. Um, but yeah, there was, there was like one, I mean, I, I, I did a cursory read through of the timeline and just because it's fresh in my head, I caught one thing that because I'm a Dragonlance nut job, it, it spoke out to me and I thought, oh my gosh. Before I go any further into this, do these people know anything about Dragonlance? Like, that is my big concern. Because ultimately, if you're unfamiliar with your individual work and your individual passion about the setting, you're just coming into this as someone who wants to buy the product. And you see something that is just wrong as far as um, the history of the setting. What? How are you supposed to take that? And so this all comes full circle into me asking you the question, what was the decision-making process for you on what to include as far as the setting of Dragonlance and what not to include? I, I kind of tackled that uh, myself. And I think my approach, and I, I would like it would, I'm actually happy to hear that there's something wrong with it because with DM's Guild, I could just fix it and release an update. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the history, what I wanted to include was the full history, a little bit from each era, because I want you to feel like, you know, even if you're playing this solo, we wanted you to feel like you could set it whenever, mm -hmm. well, which of these time periods speaks most to you, you know, what's interesting going on in the world around your character that speaks to you. And that's going to be different, 
uh, at different time periods throughout history. And then with a slight focus on like, well, also how does all of this affect the orders of high sorcery? Uh, we include like uh, the time period before the orders of high sorcery existed too, just to kind of get you there. Uh, but yeah, that was that was the main thing. It's like I, I didn't want to make it the most comprehensive thing in the world, but I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't sure how much would be released in Shadow of the Dragon Queen. So I was like, I should probably at least have, have a solid primer from all of the different ages and how they relate to the orders of high sorcery. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's like a, it's like a, you win for losing. I mean, it, it, you know, you include too much and then it becomes irrelevant to the focus of the book. You include too little and then it doesn't add context to what you're actually presenting in the book. So it's like, you know, how do you, how are you going to win in this scenario? Especially when there's so many other people that are doing just setting styled books already, mm -hmm. you know, how much... How I guess the argument is how important is it for someone who's already established if they're going to pick this up they're already a wizard in Dragonlance, you know that's the assumption, and if they're not playing in Dragonlance they just want to pick this up because it's a fun playthrough and it's a great resource for any wizard to to feel you know have that moment of of testing themselves. Is it even important at that point? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, no, probably not. <laughs> it's just it becomes this big, big question of of uh, if I don't get every little, and I'm only saying this because I've created hundreds upon hundreds of videos, and I hear from everyone that sees something in the video, and they're like pushing their glasses up. That is not right, you know, like fucking attacking me for any <laughs> little misspeaking, even though. Most of the errors are edition specific, not because the information is inaccurate. And that's the other thing with Dragonlance that is such a pain in the tuchus is that depending on the edition that you're referencing, it could be completely wrong in the edition that follows it. I mean, just looking at fifth edition, for example, there's huge edition wars within Dragonlance because fifth edition is doing it completely different. And then third edition did it completely different before that. And then Saga did it, you know, so ultimately you're designing this for fifth. And so it's speaking to that gaming system. So you don't really have to worry about all of those edition errors. But when it comes to researching your information, when it comes to your source material, you had mentioned the Soulforge game book and that you referenced the Towers of High Sorcery from the third edition. Were there any other sources that you referenced in creating this in order to try to sort of wrap your hands around the, the, the most complete information for Dragonlance? I'll let Don take this. He's the lore master between the two of us. And that's a, you know, that's a, that's a slight phrase. Cause I, you know, anytime, even when I, I've been running Dragonlance for forever, but it's like, I think of Dragonlance like I think of Star Wars. There's been so many novels. There's been yeah. so many different, like, there's so much out there. I've not read every novel in the world. Uh, I think there's, like, 180 of them or something like that. Um, but I have, like, you know, my core that I, I, I like when it comes to this, this kind of thing. Yeah. So uh, the Towers of High Sorcery from 3.5, I think, is one of the few times that, like, they created a module. It doesn't, it doesn't, actually give you all the tools you need to run but it gives you the framework yeah. um, and it gives you a lot of interesting information too uh, some of which is you know conflicts things that happen in the books and some of you know and vice versa uh, but the you know the soul forge not so much the game book i've not actually played the game book or maybe i did when i was a, a it's kid not easy, man. Um, i believe it um I've but the you know the novel the novel, which I, you know, is probably uh, more well known, um, sure. was a big one. Uh, the Legends novels and the Lost Chronicles novels, all of the sort of, like, I've always been drawn to the weird, like, conspiracy theories about Raceland and Fist and Dantilus yeah. and time travel, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so all of the, and there's really good. I think intrigue, like wizardly intrigue in some of those books. I've always been really compelled by uh, like the politics of the different, the three different orders and their leaders over time. So anything like that is, you know, an inspiration in this. And there is, you know, there 
there's the hint of those politics in, in our adventure too, the promise of like more of that to come. That's great. So, I mean, I've taken up a ton of your time and I'm already, we're sort of at the hour mark here. Um, I, I don't want to belabor anything else, but I do want to give you the opportunity to, to ha- you know, sort of speak to, is there anything else that you guys are sort of have noodling in the back of your minds on what you want to do next? Do you want to do anything else in Dragonlance? Is it going to be other settings? Like what's, uh, what's sort of coming down the pipe for both of you? I mean, um, I think hopefully our next thing will be in what, three, four years, like we did last time. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I really like the format we have going and we keep evolving with it as well. Um, as we, as we come up with new challenges, like to come back again with our first attempt at it. Uh, and then we were able to refine it more uh, with the Touch of High Sorcery. And I think there's going to be cool other things that we're going to be able to do with it as well, especially as people continue to respond well to, to solo gaming stuff. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's still kind of uh, the format where we'll, we'll tackle and evolve and take apart for pieces uh, in the future. But uh, it will mostly depend on when we have time and energy and also what is out there that's interesting to us. Yeah. Um, it could be Dragonlance. There's a lot of really cool stuff in Dragonlance that I'm still learning about. I spent so much time on the fandom wikis in, oh, in yeah. writing uh, the Sash of High Sorcery being like, Okay, let me go look up stuff about Tachesis, and let me go look up stuff about uh, different cults in there, and let me go look up stuff about Faye. Um, so there's some really rich stuff in there. Um, but I don't know. I don't know what we're going to end up making. We're going to make something at some point, but yeah. <laughs> we didn't know we were making this until September. So. <laughs> That's fair. We both kind of have the bug where like we take on a lot of projects and we work with a lot of different publishers and like a lot of that stuff is like NDA and we can't talk about it forever and who knows when it's going to be released. It could be like years from now. Uh, And, you know, we'll chat every once in a while and be like, hey, um, are you like going crazy right now or are you bored? Are you looking to do something? And usually the answer is like one of us is like buried in work uh and so we don't you know we don't haven't done a lot of self-publishing um so it's kind of like up in the air what we'll do next uh you know i think solo adventures are they speak to a they're easy to run uh in digital you know uh they're easier to bring new players into DD and let them test out playing maybe without you know, more complicated situations. There's something to be said about not just players, but dungeon masters too. Um, when you look at an adventure that's presented this way, oh, here are things I could do, or here are options I could present my players. And I think I, I, people have said who have played our, our, you know, our previous adventure, which did really well. Uh, when I when I played this, I realized like, oh, there's all these different things that I can do in D and D, and that's what's always made me feel anxious was not knowing what I can do. Um, it's hard to remember what that feels like for me because I've been playing for so long, but I'm sure there was a time uh, where I felt the same way when I was young, maybe. Uh, But yeah, I don't know what we'll do next, whether it'll be Dragonlance, who knows, like, you know, one D&D, or maybe there'll be a seventh edition by then. Like, who? I I have no idea what the situation will be, but, you know, we get to work on a lot of cool game projects, um, and that takes up a lot of of our time but we're good friends and we've worked together a lot in the past and uh, I like being able to work on passion projects things that I like I'm really I feel really strongly about I'm not doing it because it's necessarily my job but because um, there's an opportunity and I get to do with somebody I like uh, who's talented and uh, I get to create something that like you know it's kind of a bucket list like I dreamed about taking the test of high sorcery like Raceland did from when I was a kid and I read the books and I was like, oh, that would be so cool. Uh, what would I have done in that situation? That sort of thing. Um, and so this, you know, it's a bucket list item uh, and who knows when the next one will come, up, come along. Right. So basically it's whatever inspiration will strike us enough that we'll come out of our hidey holes. Well, I mean, just speaking for myself, I think you did an incredible job and I would recommend anyone watching this at any time to go pick up Test of High Sorcery. I mean, not only is it great as an individual play aid, I mean, just, you know, quickly deviating like these old books, they reference D&D loosely. This references the current edition of D&D specifically. 
And so you do feel like you're actually playing Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition while you're going through this solo adventure. But if you just want to run it as, you know, as a DM and have your player go through it and use this as the guide, that's a huge, amazing resource as well. So everything is beautiful. You got the beautiful artwork. Your, your layout is spectacular. The writing is great. I, I mean, I think this is, uh, you knocked it out of the ballpark 100%. I highly recommend people check this out. And I don't say that about anything ever so thank you <laughs> i don't know i, I really I, appreciate it <laughs> i'm hoping i'm hoping you don't put up your gloves for like two years again or, or three years or whatever it was because, <laughs> well, we'll see. <laughs> yeah you should definitely uh continue doing this i don't know anyone in the celsius is doing this so uh it's it's very very cool um thank you both so much for your time i really do appreciate it and again congratulations on getting this out there and uh can you let the people uh, watching know where they can go find you online if you have any social media or website or anything like that? Yeah, um, I am everywhere as at uh, Kiera S, which is just my name and add an S at the end of it. Um, but obviously, if you want to keep up with us as a DM Guild people, go go find our stuff on DMs Guild. Uh, we do shout about it uh, on our social medias, but social medias are so fleeting these days. <laughs> Uh, I'll just say that. Um, so I won't say specific uh, places, but right. yeah, go you go see our other stuff on DM Scaled as well. Okay. Uh, you can find me uh, anywhere or anywhere I actually exist. Uh, Donathan Fry, F R Y E. Uh, you know, I've got websites and stuff out there. Uh, I'm, we're both on Twitter right now. We'll see how how that goes. Um, but from there, you know, I have links to uh, my portfolio and other games that we, and we both have the same, like if you're interested in checking out, like, you know, uh, any of the games that we've worked on, you can probably find us through there. Uh, but yeah, yeah, definitely check out our game on DMs Guild. If you get it, um, just encourage you when you play it to fill out the survey at the end, uh, and let us know if you died or lived and how, you know, what robe color you got. And, it's really uh, cool. It's really cool data, um, yeah. to, to get, to, to see. It is pretty cool. How I many love checking you, it. Yeah. How many of you are, are, are white robes and red robes and black robes? Because it's interesting numbers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Definitely more white Are there any the white robes? There are. No. Yeah. It's pretty there, even split. Really? Uh, white robes used to be the most popular. Yeah. It was a lot of white robes at the beginning. We were, we were getting it the first like week and we're like, where, where are all these, where are these white robes coming from? Well, <laughs> too many like, good people. <laughs> Everybody's so nice. Yeah. yeah now, <laughs> now, now people, and now that it's closer to the holidays, people are showing their true colors. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. Well, um, thank you all so much for tuning into the live chat and uh, for engaging with each other. Sorry we didn't get to a ton of your comments or questions and stuff, but that's what happens when you have an engaging conversation. So sorry, <laughs> but I appreciate you, you tuning in nonetheless. Anyone else watching this after the fact, please go check out the link in the description to uh, pick up uh, the test of High Sorcerer because it's pretty dope. That is going to do it for our interview today. Um, thank you again so much for tuning in live. Thank you for so much for joining me for this. I would like to take a moment and remind you to subscribe to this YouTube channel. Again, you know, everyone hates saying it. Everyone hates hearing it. it like the videos, comment. It all goes to help other Dragonlance fans learn about this channel and its content. And again, this channel is all about celebrating the wonderful world of the Dragonlance saga. So thank you so much for joining me in the celebration. My name has been Adam. Until next time, Slanjavar. <laughs>